John Retner, I have a question for you. Yesterday, in my prayer time, as I was praying, I heard a voice from heaven. The clouds opened, a lightning bolt came down, and it said, Unless a man shave his head and have my hairstyle, he shall not go into the kingdom of God. And unless a woman have red hair, whether born that way or from a box, she shall not enter the kingdom of God. Did I hear from God? Probably not. How do you base that, my friend? What on where do you stand to make that? What the Bible tells you. Jim, Odell, come on, buddy. You and I have known each other for a while. Come on. How would you test? I, I mean, I heard from God. You see, sometimes we get the wrong view about the Scriptures. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to hone in on one little phrase. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out or God-breathed or is inspired. Sometimes we get the wrong view about the Scriptures. We think they're just simply words that man wrote about God. Second Peter puts this way, for prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. Did you catch that? It didn't come because man said, I'm going to write the Bible. But holy men of God spoke as they were carried along, as they were literally enveloped, as they were literally in the hand of God. These are the words of God. So we are often vulnerable when someone says, I've got a message from God. And we sometimes go, well, that must be fresh and new. And this this is words about God, but they must have heard from God. Folks, this is hearing from God. And that's why it's attacked. That's why it's attacked. But this is also the filter by which you know whether a message that someone tells you is from God. Rightfully so when I said, John, if I told you that you have to have a hairstyle like mine to go to heaven, John said, where is it written? Why? Because God has already spoke on the matter. And He didn't mention such good hairstyles. I hear laughter on that point. Wow. 
Where stands it written? You remember I talked a couple weeks ago about two ways that our faith is going to be attacked. It's going to be attacked first. They're going to attack our Bible and they're secondly going to attack our Jesus. So let me do a quick, very quick review of some of the things we covered. If you go to the next slide, we, t- we talked about why we can trust our Bible. We talked about the manuscript evidence. We talked about there's no other ancient writing that has as many copies near the time of the original writing. We talked about how in the New Testament there's over 24,000 writings that we can have and some of them are within, within decades of the original. We talked about how the Old Testament, we have over 250,000 copies and there's nothing, nothing else in the world like that. We've talked about how the New Testament was quoted by outside writers, by people like early church fathers, and they're being quoted even when the New Testament is being written. Within decades of it being written as early in the 90 A.D.s. So if, if the New Testament was finished in the 90s, we have people quoting it as it's being written. I mean, that's how well it was out and being circulated. It was known. It wasn't just, oh, well, this group was using this part and this group was using that because one of the arguments was, well, there was all these other books being circulated too. No, they weren't. Next slide. We also have writers from the 1st and 2nd century quoting Scripture showing the New Testament was so widely in use. In fact, we can recreate the New Testament simply from their writings. In fact, we have something like 36,000 references we can pull out of their writings and pretty much recreate the entire New Testament without even going back to the original writings. That's incredible. Showing that it was widely used. Why is that important? Well, you remember, I, I talked about people like the writer of the Da Vinci Code and others who were saying things like, well, well you know... The, the early church and the, the early Christians didn't have this, and it was uh, these Gnostic writings, which we talked about came 200 years later, that, that they were wanting to use. And uh, it wasn't the early... Well, guess what? It's not true. It's not true. They had it. So we can be sure that the copies we have are reliable. In fact, one New Testament scholar put it this way. He said, we have so much evidence that we are really, really sure that we are looking at the original idea, the original meanings. In fact, even if we have a have where maybe there's a disputed thing where there's two or three different um, translate or not translations, but um, possible meanings of the word. We know that one of those three is the original meaning, and so we just have to do a little detective work to figure out which one it is. I mean, that's how sure we are. And by the way, on this disputed stuff, not one major doctrine, and pretty much not one minor doctrine, is in question. We can trust our Bible. 
Go to the next slide, please. I'm going to show you a little clip, so you don't have to listen to me the whole time, on uh, dealing with some of the issues that uh, we deal with with some of the questions. Because Bart Ehrman, who is one of the big wigs at Harvard, says, well, you know, there's as many problems with the Bible as there are copies of it. So uh, uh, you, you can't drop. Well, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, there's some differences, but guess what? We can deal with those very easily, and I'm going to show you a little clip that deals with those very very easily. If you would play the clip, Jill. People love to say the Bible is full of errors and contradictions, but the truth is most of them can be pretty easily resolved with a little common sense, honest investigation of the scripture and the application of a simple method we're about to talk about. So let's do this. Let's tackle the alleged errors issue. We'll do that by using a method I like to call a simple C. Yes, spelling. That's right. Many of the so-called errors in the manuscript are simple variants in letters. Say you have one manuscript that was translated from Greek into Old English and another into American English. Well, the English translators might write down theater with the R-E ending, and the American team might write down theater with the E-R ending. Now, that's no error, my fellow thespians. It's a variant in spelling, so that's that for that one. On to the M. M is for mistranslation. This is when the original word might not have been translated to the new language perfectly or something along those lines. you got to realize that sometimes there's not a perfect word equivalent at the time of translation or that the translator simply had a slip of the pen or used a word that perhaps could be translated in different ways. Context and comparison solves this lickety split. For instance, Leviticus 11, 13 through 19 says, And these you should regard as an abomination among birds. The eagle, the vulture, buzzard, and bat. Folks go nuts on this one. Bats aren't birds. Bats aren't birds. The Bible is wrong and can't be trusted. Come on. First of all, they didn't have the same animal classifications back then, and the original Hebrew word translated bird here is alf, or however you pronounce that. And although correctly translated bird in many places, it also has a broad meaning like having wings or winged creature, which would, of course, include bats. This is all settled pretty easily with a little looking and thinking, I'd say. Moving on to P for perspective. Sometimes the testimony of two people can seem contradictory, but when you pay close attention, it might not be that way at all. Quick example. Say there was a car parked in the middle of the street. There's a person on the right of the car and a person on the left. The person on the right says the car door is blue and there's a baby in the back, and the person on the other side says the car door is white and there are two babies. Now, how can this be? These ferocious liars can't be trusted. Now, wait a second there, Jimmy Conclusion Jumper. Fact is, the car could be painted white on one side and blue on the other, and if there are two babies in there is one, right? So both are actually illuminating the fullness of the scene. Remember, the guy on the right didn't say there was only one baby, he just mentioned one. You gotta pay attention to the language and perspective, people. Sometimes the whole truth is in the details, you follow? L, literal versus figurative. It's pretty clear that the Bible contains different writing styles like poetry and narrative and uses different parts of speech like similes, metaphors, and analogies, pretty much like we still do today. So if we really want to interpret correctly, it's our job to realize and understand the difference. How, you ask? Great question. By looking at the immediate context using our noggin and comparing it with the rest of Scripture. That way we understand when Jesus says in John 10, 7 that he is the door, he doesn't mean he's a wooden rectangle that swings on hinges. Need I say more? Finally, C for context. This is the biggie, folks. I'd say most alleged error issues arise when people don't acknowledge the proper context of the verse, they quote only part of it or purposefully misuse it. They might say John 3.16 says, For God so loved. But they say Deuteronomy 16.22 says, The Lord your God hates. Now which is it? Does he love or does he hate? Well, you know, this is silly. Because the context of John 3.16 is about God's love for people, and the Deut verse is talking about his hate for pillars. You know, if you hack, twist, and misquote everything, you can pretty much make it say whatever you want, and that's not really searching for truth. So, there you have it. With a little effort, honest investigation, and application of the simple C method, the idea that the authority or inerrancy of the Bible is in any way diminished due to errors has been debunked. Adios. Now, he also talks a lot faster than I do. 
But let's take a quick thing. Spelling. Most of the errors that they find when they look at the manuscripts are spelling errors. Remember, these are hand copied. So there are spelling errors in there. But remember, we're not talking about the original. The original has no errors. It's the copies. Mistranslation. You saw that about bats. Perspective. Context. How is it in context? Some of the errors they talk about is punctuation in there. Guess what? In the Greek especially, a lot of the original uh, language has no punctuations. It's all put together. And so your Bible does not look the way that a translator would look at a Greek text. It's put together differently. So that's it. Also, order. Here's the big one that, uh, like Bart Ehrman will point out, he'll go, see, there's error. Script that says this. The Gospel of John. And someone else will have a text that'll say, John's Gospel. And Bart will go, see, error. Did you catch it? The Gospel of John, John's Gospel. Is that error, folks? No. That's just playing with the order. But that's what they'll, they'll say. Now, one of the beauties is we have so many copies that we are able to clarify the meaning. And as I said earlier, there's not one major doctrine in question, and really, as far as I can find, any minor ones for that matter. While we may have some honest debate on some small issues, we can be sure that we have accurate copies of the Scriptures, that the Bible you hold in your hand is accurate. Go to the next slide, please. So, why can't I trust my Bible? Well, let's talk about archaeology because that gets thrown around a lot and we'll talk about some of the ancient writers next slide please now one of the things you'll be told is well you know you you really can't trust the archaeology you know there's nothing there well there's uh in in the biblical archaeology review Caesarea on the mediterranean it was very important because when it came to jesus they were saying that there were some parts of his story that just didn't add up. In fact, they weren't even sure for a while that there was a Jesus. So let's go to the next slide. Um, they said there wasn't a Pontius Pilate until they found this rock that said Pontius Pilate, you can click the next, click it, was the governor of Judea dedicated to the people. Pontius Pilate existed and was the governor of Judea. You see, archaeology caught up with the Bible. Oh no, Pontius Pilate doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, he does. You just didn't know it. Next slide. Oh, well, you know, we're not sure Caiaphas existed. Well, this is an ossuary or a bone box. And they used it in the, in the first century. And they found it and click on it a little bit. Click on it again. There's the inscription, Joseph Caiaphas. Click on it again. And those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Guess what? We just found Caiaphas. 
oh, I guess he does exist. I guess the story of the New Testament is true. For many years they said, oh, there's no such thing as the Hittites. Guess what? They found them. Oh, there's no such thing as, there's no way that Moses could have written the first five books of the Old Testament. First of all, the laws were too intense and, and the word for God didn't exist back then. In fact, they didn't even have language back then until they found some metal, uh, silver little mugs that had the name of God until they found the code of Hammurabi until they found all these things that existed back then, and they go, oh, I guess they could have existed after all. Next uh, slide, please. Well, you know, there's no way that, we can, that Jesus would have been crucified. They didn't do that. Well, and, and how they, they uh, portrayed it, that was wrong. Yeah, they crucified, but they wouldn't have done that. Well, uh, go to the next slide. They actually found proof of crucifixion. Uh, click on this slide again. There's the nail head. This is going through ankles. The nail end. We now have, at the time of Jesus, they have found proof that they were crucifying people. Even though, oh no, we, they weren't really doing it then. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. And archaeology has caught up with Scripture. Next slide, please. Testimony of a scholar, click on that, please. Ever since scientific archaeology started a century and a half ago, the constant pattern has been this. The hard evidence from the ground has borne out the biblical record again and again and again. So when someone says, well, archaeology doesn't prove the Bible, guess what? It probably hasn't just been found yet. And it will be, and it will prove the record. Next slide, please. Now this came up this week. There's a, a, a series on TV called Forbidden History. And it came up, and, and, and this is what the argument is. Well, but didn't... Constantine make the church decide that Jesus was God? Didn't the church think that up to this point, uh, up to about 350 A.D., Jesus was just a prophet, just a man? And didn't Constantine force the church to pick out his Bible? Well, let's answer this. This is one of the things that, they, remember, they attack Jesus and they attack the Bible. So let's talk about the attacks on Jesus. Next slide. First of all, Jesus said he was God. In the New Testament, we have this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I and the Father are one. The New Testament eyewitnesses identified Jesus as God. Simon Peter answered, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas answered him, said, my Lord and my God. The New Testament record says this. He is God. Next slide. Here are several of the early church fathers. 
from 70 to 79 A.D. saying Jesus is God, from 110 A.D. saying Jesus is God, from 150 A.D. saying Jesus is God, from 185 A.D. saying Jesus is God, 200 years before Constantine and, his, and the Council of Nicaea. Now, I brought up this whole Council of Nicaea, and I, I, I know that you're going, why does that even matter, Greg? Well, the Council of Nicaea was brought together because they had to settle a debate. There was a guy by the name of Arius, and it was the Arian debate. Arius said Jesus was a created being. He wasn't the God, and they needed to settle that. And they did, and they said, Yes, Jesus is co-eternal. Jesus is God. And, and, and that's what the whole thing was about. It wasn't about setting up Constantine's Bible. It wasn't about setting up, making Jesus something he wasn't. It was just setting that debate. Now, uh, Arius has followers even today. We call them the Jehovah's Witness. That follows that, that line of thinking of, of, of theology. So, go on. Next slide, please. Question number two. Isn't it just Constantine's Bible? Well, as I've already shown you, the New Testament was created and used by the early church 150 years before the Gnostic Gospels. It isn't Constantine's Bible. The church leaders recognized the books that the church had been using for nearly 300 years. And as I shared two, two weeks ago, every man at this meeting that finally said this is the canon, every man was maimed. They were missing eyes. They were missing fingers. They were missing hands. They were missing legs. They had been persecuted for their faith. They would bow to no man. They only bowed to God. And they would not sacrifice their scriptures for the will of man. They only bowed to God. And they said, these are the scriptures that have been here since the beginning. Go on. Next slide, please. This also came up this week. There was a whole special on it. You may have seen it on TV. And this is, again, but wasn't Jesus married to Mary Magdalene? And these are some of the um, uh, arguments. They'll say, well, you know, uh, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus wasn't married. Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was married. So you're using that kind of argument that doesn't hold weight. Fact of the matter is, Scripture doesn't tell us he was married. In fact, Paul alludes to the fact that Jesus wasn't married because in 1 Corinthians 9-2, Paul makes an argument, and in that argument, he, he could have said, I, can, I have rights because doesn't, Paul, doesn't Peter bring his wife? Doesn't Jesus' brothers bring their wives? And to be the ultimate trump card, he could have said, and doesn't Jesus bring his wife? And he doesn't do that. You see, he ignores that. 
Also, the myth of him marrying Mary Magdalene comes from a 6th century story called Joseph and Asnath. And to be honest, Jesus is never mentioned in the story. Um, those who make this idea that Jesus is the, is the Joseph in there, you say, well, you have to read it allegorically. It's, it's hidden in there. It's between the lines. But there is no uh, Gnostic gospel, there's no Gnostic writing that comes out and says, Jesus married Mary Magdalene. There's nothing in this but twisted conjecture. Why do they want to do this? Because if we make this happen, Jesus isn't the Son of God anymore. Jesus is a guy who moved to France and raised two kids. Jesus isn't our Savior. He's just a man. So let's attack him. Next slide, please. So friends, I want you to understand. You can trust the evidence. You can trust the archaeology. You can trust the witnesses. You can trust what Jesus says. You can trust your Bible. The manuscript evidence says yes. The archaeology says yes. Jesus says yes. And we could go deeper and deeper and deeper, but I'm not going to take you there. But understand Anytime someone comes after your faith, the answers are there. You just have to look. All right. Now I'm going to ask our brother to come forward. Uh, we have uh, um, Steve King is going to be leaving us. He is going to be taking a church. So Steve, I'm going to have you come up and share with us what's happening. Thank you. Um, so yes, uh, tomorrow morning, my family and I are hopping in a U-Haul and a whole bunch of other trucks and trailers and heading to southwest Wisconsin, the town of Fenimore where I will be uh, taking the pastorate of Trinity Evangelical Free Church there. Um, it's a very small church. Uh, I'll be going in as a bivocational minister there, so I have another job. And uh, we're, we're very excited. Um, it's been a long path. I was just thinking this morning, just pondering, you know, 11 years ago or so, um, <laughs> I was at a point, I had been... Uh, gone through a rough, uh, I was an associate pastor and had left there and, and was at a point in my life where I thought, man, this is done. This uh, call to ministry was over. But over the last 10 years or so, as we uh, worked on marriage, raised our kids, God kept on working on me. And then Three and a half years ago, we came here. And um, these past three years have 
you have. Encourage me and strengthen me and, and God has used you in amazing ways to bring me to this point today. I thank you for loving us, for encouraging us. You know, as, as I first came and you know, I wasn't here very much. I was here about every sixth Sunday or so. It was actually very funny. I'd, I'd come in and, you know, in that six weeks because of my job, you know, I'd come in and, and uh, every week <laughs> I'd be like, are you new here? You know, and part of it was too, my, my facial hair would change drastically in between those times. I, I understand. It, it was fine. You know, and then I was able to be here, you know, every Sunday and just to be able to grow and to know people. And, 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 and frankly, you know, I'm... You know, I, you know, I, I, I can be kind of, you know, standing here in front of you, I have no problem. But one-on-one uh, -on -one with people, sometimes I, I struggle with people. But this has been so good. And then a couple years ago when I got involved with a small group, and uh, I was just able to live with them and be with them, encouraged me again. So uh, we are off. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm excited. I'm try not to be terrified at times, but uh, God has been so good, and you have been so good. Thank you. And please, please pray for us. Um, you know, we have strong roots here. Uh, the moon, <laughs> the moon connection is strong, so we'll be around in here, and, and uh, so please be think of us, pray for us, you know, stay in contact, email, whatever. We, we love you so much. We thank you. You're, you're bivocational. Have you found a new job yet? I have. Um, yeah, and that could be a real prayer for us because I'm just, you know, trying to realize the realities of it. I'll be working hard uh, and just trying to fit everything else in. Um, yeah, God has been good, uh, provided a job, and uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going. And have you found a home? There's a parsonage right next door to the church. So you get to live in a fishbowl. All right. Exactly. <laughs> yep, yep, wow. <laughs> right there, absolutely. And um, this, this little church, uh, you know, in the community, uh, they have probably have had some challenges, and uh, so you're walking in, uh, so you're going to need wisdom and how to bring healing and hope. And Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, they have gone through a very difficult few years, and, and uh, you know, I, as I've been thinking and praying, I, I believe the first order of business with them is to, uh, to encourage them, you know, uh, to say, hey, we can, we can do this. There's a, there's a place for this church and this community. And, and I believe that. That's why we're going. I, I, I tell them over and over. I mean, I ask them the very direct question. Why are you here? Why don't you shut the doors? There's, you know, 20 of you. What's the deal? You know, and, and they felt like they could hang on, and I felt that too. But, yeah, there's a definite, definite need for them to, uh, it's, you know, really a, a, a restart in many ways, uh, top to bottom. There's many challenges. Uh, but the exciting thing is I, I think God has has prepared me in many ways, uh, just even to be my vocational and, and being able to fill this role with them. I, I am excited to see what God will do with that. And as your wife uh, and kids 
make new friends and uh, new schools and new experiences and so they all the transitions they have to go through as well yeah it's huge huge yeah. you know um you know our kids and yeah there's there's all those challenges uh um you know and with sherry too obviously this has been her home but i tell you what <laughs> and she's on board you know and, and there's been a couple times where you know i asked are, are you sure you know and because you know, my heart i doubt and then but she's been there and we're, we're going we're together so um if you're if your wife and family would like to join you for the prayer time, it, it, that's up to them. I don't want to put the kids on display if they don't want to be up here. That's, that's okay. Um, and I'd like to ask our elders to come forward. Um, also, uh, the moons, if they would join us, our elders. Um, and you know what? I know uh, your small group. I know you've meant, if you're part of their small group and would like to come forward and just lay your hands on them, I'd like to invite the small group to come up and join as well. And uh, also, silly putty guys. I know, uh, I know you've gotten to know uh, uh, Steve as we've wrestled with the messages each week and had very vigorous and spirited discussions at times. Uh, it's been it's been a wonderful thing. So, guys, I'm going to ask that you'd put your hands and friends in the congregation. Would you put your hands out? Father, we now send this wonderful family. We're not just sending Steve. We're sending a family. And we ask that this church uh, be open and prepared that their hearts be ready to receive, that their hands be ready to hold, and that their arms be ready to embrace. We pray for this community that it would be ready to receive the blessing that the King family will be. We pray, Father, for this work that Steve will do both in the secular field and in the church. We pray that you would work out those amazing uh, challenges that will be there. We pray for uh, the challenges at home uh, with Sherry that she uh, works through and orchestrates the joys of being mom and wife and pastor's wife and daughter of God. We pray for the kids as each one is going to go through their challenges and their transitions and ask your hand of safety and hand of guidance on top. Father, we pray that they would be Holy Spirit-led, Jesus Christ-centered, gospel-driven, scripturally foundationed, so that they will be able to be used of you in a powerful way. We joyously send them, but our hearts are broken to lose them. And we ask, Father, that... Uh, you would take part of us with them and that they would know that there's always a home here for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, my friends. We're going to have a cookie social with them, so I'm going to let you guys go out so they can greet you. So you guys go out first. And the rest of you, would you stand with me and allow me to pray a prayer blessing over you. Father, I send us out bathed in your love, 
with our feet covered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guide our feet to those who need the hope of Jesus. May our hands be the hands of Jesus. May our words be the words of Jesus. May our hearts reflect his heart. And may we see with his eyes this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and be blessed.